Today I can speak into my phone and do everything from order a pizza, text message a friend, or pull up a recent photo album from Paris. Uh, and 10 years ago, I didn't have any technologies that were remotely close to that. In this week's episode, we have a researcher that's going to explain why that is. Uh, why and how have technologies like Siri and Google Translate developed so much to allow the field of natural language processing to make such leaps and bounds forward uh, in, the, in the previous decade? Dan Roth is a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Uh, he's a PhD at Harvard in computer science, graduated in 1995. Um, and in this episode, he's going to explain to us not only what the last 10 years of progress in natural language processing have brought us in terms of utility and what's actually happening there in terms of the algorithms and the approach to understanding language, but what the next steps might be in terms of allowing machines to take the next step forward in real conversational speech and understanding context at the next level, essentially uh, Siri squared, more or less. So without further ado, we'll let Dan take the floor. So Dan, you've been in this field for almost a you know a couple decades now in, in natural language processing. We talk a lot about progress and predictions in, in individual emerging technology fields. In terms of progress, where has the last decade brought us in natural language processing? How much farther along are we now in our capacity than we were 10 years ago? Well, I think in many respects we've made a huge amount of progress. Uh, what, what what people can see easily is, you know, applications like Siri and machine translation, uh, where, you know, it's, it's not good, but I would say it's quite reasonable today. You can take a piece of text in, you know, a language that you cannot read and speak, send it to Google Translate, and you will at least know quite well what is this about. Yeah, which is pretty impressive, yeah. So, so this is one example. Siri is another example, although, again, it's very local, it's very short conversation, and very simple uh, English, say. Uh, but we've made a lot of focus in many, many other domains. Uh, again, people are exposed to it mostly via technologies like, you know, Google Search. Yeah. Much better than it used to be, or other search engines 10 years ago. But, but really, we have a lot of technologies today that allow us to extract information from free text uh, at pretty robust level. Uh, sort of moving it to, to structured data that we can deal much better with with database technologies. Uh, we can uh, we can look at a collection of you know million text documents or million email messages and process them quickly to figure out what's out there. There's a lot of progress in all in, in many many uh, domains where people use uh, shallow natural language technology. And there's a lot more to come. There's still a gap between what people can do in research and what people uh, see in day-to-day -day, uh, commercial technology. Yes, for sure. And, and you, you'd mentioned, just to touch base on this, because I think to put this in context for the listenership, I think would be useful. Um, you'd mentioned we're mostly familiar with the series and the Google Translates of the world. Are there other less well-known advances in natural language processing that maybe most people would not be aware of? Uh, so, so let me give you a quick example. Great. Oh, before that, I mean, one thing that people often do not realize, just because we as humans are so good in language, people don't realize how difficult the problem is. Yes. And just to illustrate, you know, any word that you want to take in English, you know, take the word table. I'm sitting next to a table now. Yeah. Table may, may mean multiple things, if you think about it. Yes. In fact, even the power speech tag 
of table. Table could be a noun in one context and could be a verb. You can table things in another context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things are very difficult. People do it, uh, you know, very quickly without even thinking about it. But really, all these decisions are context-sensitive decisions that require a lot of knowledge and that we required over the years. Uh, now, if you think about it, conventional programming, the way you know people are mostly used to do it, kind of with if-then statements and defining variables and so on, yep. these are not good enough to deal with natural language processing. You must use learning techniques. You have to learn by reading or listening to a lot of data and understanding which world appears in which context and, and what role it takes in which context and so on. Yep. So, so this is kind of the basis for the technology. So, so given that, let me give you an example. Let's assume that you work in a, I don't know, local operation, and you want to look at all the email messages that you got you know, over the last uh, year, tens of thousands of messages, and you want to ask a very simple question. Give, give me uh, the names of all the people that were mentioned in email messages to and for my company over the last year. Uh, if you think about it, you don't know how to write a simple conventional program to do that. No. And the reason you don't, you know, if I give you a name, you know, you're looking for Dan Wolf, yes, you can search for Dan Wolf. But you will not even find all the occurrences of my name because people can call me or refer to me in email different ways. Uh, so, so just trying to find all the names of the people that corresponded to the office itself, this is a problem that is called name entity recognition. Trying to identify names of people, names of location, names of organizations, and so on in text. And we can solve it robustly today. We are not really at the level that all corporations have a program that allows them to do it, but you know, it's coming. And, and now, you know, out of my own curiosity, we, we, so we, we see, you know, Google Translate is, is pretty good. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I, I recall the early days of Google Translate when it was sort of okay. Um, and, and now uh, Google Translate, at, at least for the, the very basic fumbling and bumbling language needs that I have, is, is more than adequate, much of the case. Siri obviously does the job a good amount of the time. Where are the biggest gaps in natural language processing? In other words, you mentioned this, this name entity problem. Um, where, where else do we really need to make progress to make machines smart? You know, what are the other big leaps that need to be made, the, the, the gaps that exist today that, that uh, the people need to work on? So, so Google Translate, Translate text, uh, essentially because it's read a lot of uh, parallel text, two languages that are aligned. Yep. And it knows, given a string, what was the string uh, that was similar to it or aligned with it in the other language. Oh, okay, okay, got it. It does not understand the text at all. If you ask a question of the type of question that you ask me now, uh, it's not going to do anything, right? Yep, yep. It does not understand the text. It doesn't know, is this text talking about sports? Does it talk about finance? Does it talk about, you know... Uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, has no idea what it is about. Yep. Uh, and it cannot, you know, <clears throat> help you access that uh, in a better way, the way, you know, you really want to do it. Yep. So, so in terms of level of understanding, we are really far 
of producing products. Um, the simple example that I gave on name entity recognition is moving us forward this direction because now you can ask me, uh, you know, give me all the correspondence where Dan is mentioned in and, you know, tell me also whether uh, the people that wrote these emails like him or not. We can do that. Yep. Uh, we can also understand the topics of the documents, you know, what is he talking about. Uh, we can understand when it was discussed. Uh, you know, we can understand temporal issues in depth. But again, you and me can, can understand very easily. For you and me, if we read something in the text, you know, let's meet the week after um, Thanksgiving. It doesn't matter whether we say the week after Thanksgiving or whether we say the first week of December. Yeah, we, we know. Yeah, we know. We know. Yep. We know, but Google doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so this is a very simple, or relatively simple gap in natural language understanding. It's trivial for people. We still have to close this gap. Yeah. Uh, so basically, these are the issues, and a lot of them involve uh, also background knowledge that really takes a huge role in understanding language. Huh. And and. Uh this background knowledge, again, it's not necessarily acquired by the computer. Like you'd said, it, Google, from from the way that you're describing Google, I personally don't know, but uh, from the way that you're describing Google, Google has read a lot of parallel text. This means that, go. This means that, go. And it just, it fires along and reads them both and gets an understanding for those patterns. But it, it doesn't have that that background uh, knowledge. Um so, so it sounds like it's certain issues of context, certain issues of meaning, we're still sort of far from. How do we bridge that gap now? Where are people like yourself uh, working on today in order to make it so that a machine can know the week after Thanksgiving means, you know, this, this year after this Thanksgiving? You know, how is it going to pick up on that kind of context? How can we make machines interact in that intuitive of a way that we do when we fling language around? So, so yeah, these are really the key questions. So, so the, the research uh, in this direction goes essentially building on two technologies. One technology is machine learning, where we essentially learn, read a lot of text, and try to um, sort of abstract from the text, use it as examples, and learn different predicates. Um, and the second one is acquiring knowledge uh, and trying to try to represent it in such a way that we can use it. A lot of knowledge today can be acquired automatically. Uh, you know, you can read Wikipedia and you can understand. So if you read Wikipedia, you can figure out that, let's take an example that is in the news, there are many Clintons, right? Yes. There is Clinton, there is Hillary Clinton, there is Clinton Lake, there is a city named Clinton in Illinois. Yes. You know, there's a county named Clinton in different places. We can figure it out because someone has written it in a, in a well-organized way. And I can use this to write a program that when it reads Clinton in the news uh, or in any document, it can figure out from the context which Clinton are we talking about. Uh, so I'm using the fact that knowledge exists and I know how to represent it together with some machine learning techniques that allow me to learn from this data. And, of course, we have to do this at very, very large scale because there's a lot of things we need to learn. 
But this is the, the, the line of work that a lot of people are pursuing. Knowledge acquisition along with machine learning as a way to push forward uh, understanding of things. It almost feels like we need to develop a, a method to, you know, I mean, it's, well, you're articulating this. We need to develop a way to teach machines in the same way that we come to intuitively know which Clinton you're flipping talking about at any one given time. Um, we'd, we'd have to we'd have to convey that similarly to a machine in some sense. And then that that is that's an awful challenge. Like you had mentioned, I mean, what do you individually expose it to individual contexts of Clinton and have it make guesses and then manually edit it? You know, I know that some approaches to AI, I'm just I'm, I'm uh, not an academic here, but I'm, I'm going to whip out an analogy and you can tell me if it's right or wrong. Um, there will be, you know, a, a program that, let's say, sorts images, you know, just visual images of, of you know, arbitrarily, we'll use an example of cars. So this will use, it, it'll, it'll take a bunch of pictures and it will sort them based on what it knows on as to what is the front of a car, what is the back of a car, what is the left side, the right side, and which, which are pictures of wheels and which are pictures of, let's say, mufflers, right? And so the, the, the intelligence groups and clumps all of these images into the buckets that it thinks are right and then a human will go in and manually edit which ones were wrong and put them into the proper bucket and in some way teach the machine and then run it through another whole clump of images does that does that happen in this field too exactly so so this is what when i say machine learning this is what i mean so yep. so if you take the computer vision example it all starts with people taking a bunch of images images and annotating them these are cars, these are flowers, these are chairs. Yes, yes. And then you train a machine learning program uh, to learn a model that eventually knows how to do it for uh, inputs that it hasn't seen before. The same thing happens with natural language processing, only that there's many, many stages and a lot of, uh, of course, information. Yes. So this happens in order uh, for us to understand what are nouns and what are verbs in a sentence. And later on, what are subjects and what are objects and what are predicates in sentences? What are uh, phrases that represents people? What are phrases that, that represents locations? What represents organization? All these are machine learning programs that oh. are bootstrapped by someone, a lot of effort in fact, annotating data for us. Yep. Uh, however, this is not sufficient. There has to be uh, and there is a lot of effort in trying to, let's call it, minimize the level of human supervision because it's not scalable to have too much human annotation. So this is where I mentioned Wikipedia. Wikipedia allows me to learn with very little human supervision. People have already written Wikipedia. Yep. So I can go to all the Wikipedia articles that mention Clinton. Some of them, Clinton is going to be hyperlinked the appropriate Wikipedia page on Clinton, whether yes. it's Hillary or Bill or Clinton Lake. I'm going to use this automatically as training data. Someone has hyperlinked this Clinton, and I learn from this which context is appropriate for which Clinton. Got it. Okay, okay. So, yeah. so, so this is a case where I'm using machine learning technology, and let's say in a smarter way. I don't involve directly humans in the loop. I'm using the fact that humans have already done a lot of things as a way to exploit it. We call this indirect supervision or incidental supervision. And a lot of the stuff that we are doing today to make progress in natural and 
can, minimizing human effort. Got it. Okay, this is very insightful. So we we do have the you know in the old days maybe and probably still today in some extent you have a person annotating and 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 making note on various sentences and words and context and whatever the case may be and then uh, and then a machine is exposed to to sentences it makes decisions and determinations around their meaning and then someone manually edits that and the process is repeated what you're saying that's moving into now and this is i guess probably part of the wave of the amalgamous funky term called big data where we we have so much information on the internet and and as you had mentioned some of it has been done you know we could argue that wikipedia is not perfect but but so what wikipedia is relatively well done probably links to the right things and in terms of discerning meaning humans have already done the contextual background uh thinking about meaning they they've already uh, plugged all of that in through hyperlinks to to imply context or references, and now you're running the machine through that to make determinations of which Clinton are we talking about to make determinations of you know um, what what is the context of table in this particular sentence, etc. Got it. Yeah. It's implied. It's implied. And picking up on implied, like you said, most people don't realize just how hard that is to program. And, and we do it all the time. Yeah, right? constantly. It's the basis of our communication, the convention that we're using. So, so there's a lot of things that we want to be able to do uh, in order to language understanding. And as I said, you know, there's been a lot of progress. There's still a long way to go. And, and to that note, Dan, you know, just to, to touch on this is our very last topic. Um, how far do you think we'll get in terms of natural language processing in the coming 10 years? In other words, I'm not asking to, for you to be an optimist. I'm not asking you to be a pessimist. I'm just really interested in your genuine ideas about how far we might get. You know, in the last 10 years, we've gotten ourselves from wherever we were to the fact that now Siri and Google Translate and some other programs are, are, are doing reasonably well in a lot of different contexts. In, in, in a decade from now, um, where might we be able to get ourselves to? You know, what might be possible in 10 years that isn't possible today, if anything at all? Well, I think we're going to make a lot more progress. I think we'll, I mean, I can see in the next 10, 15 years us being able to communicate with computers in a, in a real natural, fluent way, much better than Siri that is really local. But, you know, to the extent that I will be able to uh, consult the machine on uh, 
you know, solving a, a world problem. You know, think about the middle schooler that wants to solve a world algebra problem. They'll be able to communicate with the machine and get suggestions and advice. Physicians will be able to consult research articles. You know, there are millions of research articles in the medical domain. Oh, yeah. yeah. No one knows what's written there. They'll be able to communicate with a program that will understand the articles at a sufficient enough level to help them and point them to the right literature. Uh, you know, I, I think that we're going to make a lot of progress uh, supporting much better communication and access to, to information. Now, do you do you foresee the future of, you know, this, see, you mentioned in the medical space, um, you know, I, I suppose the dream future of Google would be something like, hey, Google, you know, I'm going to be going to Philadelphia in two weeks um, and uh, I'm going to be around this neighborhood, at least for the most part, and I don't really want to, I want to stay in that neighborhood if I can. Um, find me the absolute best Asian place where I can get a meal for two people, uh, you know, under 80 bucks. Um, and then and then Google would list them kind of in order of price or whatever the case may be. And you just be able to say something like that into your phone, not not enter a bunch of fields and criteria, but just speak to, you know, the, the Google equivalent of Siri and have have that happen. Is this what you're sort of referring to in some sense? I, I think that's actually relatively easy. We can almost do this today, modulus some noise and so on. And Google actually knows that you're going to Philadelphia because you bought the tickets out there on your laptop, uh, so you don't have to tell them, but, but I, I think we can do difficult things than just, you know, help our travel. I, I think there's, there's real challenges uh, in terms of, you know, the medical domain is, is one good example. Uh, compliance is another example. You know, these are domains with so many documents that people would like to access in an intelligent way. Uh, yeah, give us know, an example, an example from the compliance field in, in kind of the ideal circumstance you're talking about. So, so think about the, the recent GE case uh, or GM case where they were looking at, uh, you know, tens of millions of documents trying to, to think about the recall issue that they had a few years ago. Uh, it takes uh, many lawyers, many, many thousands of hours to read over the email messages to figure out what's written there. Uh, there should be a program that goes over this and highlights for them, these are the important documents, this is where, you know, important decisions were made. Uh, these are the people that were involved. Uh, these were the correspondence, this is when it held. It would, you know, basically provide them a summary with evidence pointing to specific documents so that they would not have to read 10 million documents where they are bound to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we could yep, we could argue, of course, that there's a possibility of a machine making mistakes, but that a, a machine calibrated well enough, just like, you know, we've gotten well enough at a lot of other aspects of machine intelligence, a machine calibrated well enough would maybe be able to do the same job with, with you know, functionally very little understanding if it had even... You know, even let's say, I don't know, you know, 95% of normal human ability to, to recognize words in context, a machine, if it could be consistent, would maybe be better than having a team of 30 different people trying to interpret different chunks of this, the, these long email strings or whatever there. There's no question. There's no question. Yeah. So I can give you a better example, you know, 
think about the medical domain today, you know, give me a guess of how many articles were written last year in the biomedical domain. Man, I, I, I literally could not tell you. I, I mean, I, I would have no, I would have no conception. Um, I would, for whatever reason, I would guess it'd be under a million in biomedical. Although, well, if you mentioned, if that's everything included in biology and in medicine altogether, maybe that would be many millions. You tell me. It's over a million. Oh, wow. But, but that means that no, one's, no one knows what's happening. Right? So, so if you could actually support researchers, physicians, uh, in better access to what's important, what has happened that they need to know about, uh, uh, without, you know, because today they cannot do it. Yeah. They cannot keep up with the stream of information and know what are the important issues that they need to be aware of. Not to mention electronic health records that people are writing daily as we speak and, and no one reads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so, so all these things are issues. Understanding would make a huge difference and, and I believe will make a huge difference. So we'd be... Uh, the next. Uh, 10, 15 years. Okay, God, wow. So that's, I, I wasn't sure of where, how far along you thought you think would be in 10 years, but I mean, if we had some kind of tangible application and, you know, even if we just kept it in the medical space, let's say, I mean, anything with respect to academic literature, I mean, so much, so specific, so uh, broad, sometimes so dense um, that to be able to ask a machine, you know, hey, we're we're studying this particular kind of hematoma in this particular area, and uh, um, you know, complications that can result from these genetic uh, conditions. Um, is there anything that's talked about? Are there any recent research in the last five years that's that's talked about how these might interface and and what the relevance might here be between these two? Instead of having to look through every journal every year read every abstract yourself, wouldn't it be brilliant if we could access the rest of human findings by by yanking it up in that kind of a way? It sounds like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, even more details, perhaps you're looking for specific influence of this gene uh, on that gene, uh, or, you know, the influence of one drug on, on some, some, uh, some gene, and you would be able to figure out, are there papers that can Yes, and that man, that would be that would be real access to the internet, right? Not not like broad. Oh, I can search and then I can find. I mean, that would be the the capacity to pinpoint where this knowledge has been produ produced and congealed and assimilated. That that would I, I suppose uh, a machine would have to you know not only hear your voice but would have to understand the context of the text. But but man, that that would really be the unlocking of kind of the mass of, of human output in the last however many years that have gotten everything online. I, I think would it would have to be through a machine that can understand at that granular of a level. And it sounds like you're you're somewhat bullish on that potentially happening in the next ten or fifteen, or having some some solid progress in that direction. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to do these kind of things and support a, a range of applications of that sort. Uh, within the next 10, 15 years. I am, I am certainly rooting for it myself. I don't like to poke and prod through uh, a dozen academic papers myself. And uh, and there's there's myriad other applications I think would be tremendously exciting. Dan, I know we're just about on time. I think this has been informative for hopefully everybody tuned in who, who uh, wanted to know a little something about how natural language processing actually works and where we might go. Thank you so much for being here on the show and sharing your insights, Dan. Thank you.
thank you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.